up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Rapping with the Reef Bum. I'm your host, Keith Berkelhammer, and it's, uh, it's been a while. It's been a few weeks since I've had a show. I've had some, uh, some challenges with uh, scheduling guests and what have you, but I am psyched to be back. And uh, today, I have the pleasure of welcoming Abe Torona from Coral Euphoria. Abe runs uh, CoralEuphoria.com, the website he uses to sell his high-end and high-quality SPS frags. He also has a successful YouTube channel. We we're just talking about that before the show that was started a couple of years ago um, with over 8,500 subs. And if you've ever been on his website or seen any of his YouTube videos, then you already know that Abe has the touch for SPS. So, Abe, man, welcome to the show and thanks for being my guest. Uh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Keith. Thanks for that uh, very nice introduction, too. Hey, well, well deserved, well deserved. So, folks, uh, this is a treat. Abe is uh, is obviously got um, talent in terms of SPS. I love SPS, so Abe and I are going to have a real um, down and dirty conversation about keeping SPS, and we'd love to get your uh, your input. So, uh, welcome everybody, Saint Nova Reef Bol T40 Reef. Thanks, uh, folks, for coming, Reggie Perryman. We got a lot of folks coming in right now, and uh, we really thank you uh, very much. Queen City Reese and more. Um, hey guys, both of you are what I am aspiring to follow as far as coral growth success. Well, hopefully we can pass along and impart some of our knowledge and specifically talk to, uh, to Abe in terms of what he uh, does and how he likes to keep uh, SPS tanks. Uh, Reef Keeper, hey, what's up, man? Thanks for uh, coming back and checking out the show here. But um, I don't know, Abe, Hopefully everything is cool with uh, with you out there on the uh, on the left coast. Uh, we've got uh, COVID going on. We've got uh, wildfires. I don't know if that's something that's impacting you. Hopefully you're uh, you're staying safe out there. It's it's not a uh, safe world we're living in these these days. No, apparently it's not. Um, <laughs> uh, first of all, I just want to say thanks for all the support to everybody who came out to watch the stream and who subscribes to my channel. I appreciate it a lot. But yeah, for the most part, we're good down here. Um, San Diego is a special place. <laughs> we're not like the rest of California, I like to think of it. The The weather is always a little cooler when it's too hot in the rest of California, and it's a little warmer down here when it's too cold in the rest of California. But I think we got blessed by some good winds to where not a lot of the ash is hitting us down here. So I'm good, man. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Abe, so we... Uh... We got a lot of ground to cover because I got a lot of questions and I'm sure everybody um, that's watching ha has a lot of questions. But uh, as you may know, a lot of, a lot of uh, what I do in terms of starting off these shows is I always ask my guests in terms of how they got into the hobby or, or into the business. So, so hey, man, what's, uh, what's the scoop there? How did, how did you get into reef keeping? What's your story? Well, really, it wasn't, it's not too different from everybody else. I, you know, kept a freshwater fish tank at the age of 13, you know. South American cichlids like Jack Dempsey's and Convicts and Oscars. And that was like junior high school for me. Around uh, high school in the early 90s is when I started, you know, seeing a lot more uh, saltwater aquariums. And one of the big things that got me into the hobby was just seeing that symbi symbiotic relationship between a clownfish and anemone. Yeah. So that's really what got me into it. And um, in the so during high school, I kind of dabbed into marine saltwater type stuff. And I, of course, not of course, but for me, it was a big time failure. <laughs> um, I don't think too many people were successful during that time. Um, but after I got out of the Navy in 99, and um, I actually had a little bit money is when I was able to afford like a proper 
uh, aquarium or reef tank. And that's really about the same time when the reef hobby really started to take off. Like the whole Ber Berlin method came out where people were just throwing in a bunch of live rock, like real live rock from the ocean. Yeah. And they and we started implementing protein skimmers and, you know, strong lighting was very, we, we discovered how important strong lighting was back then. And that's really when my ho the hobby really took off for me, just like everybody else. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting uh, you know way in terms of how you kind of get into it. You start small, and maybe you start with a fresh uh, water tank, and then before you know it, it just kind of uh, evolves into something bigger and better, and and you just keep keep uh, progressing along the uh, along the way, and it seems like it's never ending. <laughs> um, so, you know, Abe, you. Um, you know, I watch your channel and, and, uh, first of all, I love your videos. You, uh, they're very well done. They're very educational. And, and, you know, you've, you practice some methods that, um, you know, I've, uh, I've not done myself personally. And there's some things that you do, I, I think that are, uh, really, really neat and, uh, and interesting. And I, I'd say that, um, you know, maybe some of them are not common, but let's, um, you, uh, you shot a video of your, uh, of your systems for us and kind of like a walkthrough of your two tanks. So let's, um, maybe we should start off with that. We'll, uh, we'll watch the video and that'll kind of like lead to a more uh, natural uh, conversation in terms of questions about what we saw in those videos. But let's, um, let's do that and then uh, we'll come back and talk about it. So let me, uh, let me roll this video here. One hundred and twenty gallons, so four feet by two feet by two feet. It's lit by a DIY LED strip up front, but the main lighting is an eight bulb T5 fixture, ATI. It's mainly Acroporas. I do have some LPS and Montes in here, but they're just in there really to add some color variation that Acropora don't typically have. It is bare bottom. I just find that easier to deal with. There's about 60, 50 to 60 pounds of Fiji live rock. About 12 fish in here, four big ones and the rest are small. For flow, currently I have two MP40s. You can see one in the back left there, as well as in the front right. I do have a Tunzi wave box in here. I know those things are kind of bulky, but I do like the rocking motion that they do provide. So as far as filtration, I have this 40 gallon breeder that I turned into a sump. The water comes down in goes into that filter sock right there in the center. That's a Bubble King Mini 180. Had that thing for over 10 years now, I love it. I am a big proponent of Roofoss, so I run Roofoss in this Fosban reactor here. If you look at the output of the reactor, it's very minimal. So I don't run it aggressively. This is a bucket refugium. There's Cato in there, and it's lit by a little Kessel. The next compartment is a bubble trap where I have a bunch of rock rubble for additional biological filtration. 
And then finally the return pump section where I have a gravity fed auto top off. That's just a float valve, standard PVC float valve. And I dose alkalinity, calcium and magnesium. Those are those containers there. And the dosing pumps are up there. It looks like a lot, but I'm only using three heads. And the whole system is pretty much run off an apex. I use the temperature control on the apex to control the fans and heater. And I use the apex to control the outlets. But that's pretty much it. I like to keep things as simple as possible. So this is my 140 gallon. It's a custom tank. The dimensions are 5 feet by 3 feet. And it's 16 inches high. Pretty much all acros. It pretty much functions as a grow out tank, but I tried to make it look as nice as possible. That's why I added the live rock and took out the frag rack. The main difference between this tank and the 120 is the lighting. For lighting, I have two 250 watt metal halides and that's supplemented with a bunch of LED fixtures. The fixtures in the corners are DIY fixtures, DIY fixtures. And in the middle, I have a reef breeders fixture. For flow, I have 46105s tonsies. There's probably about 60 pounds of live rock in here. Maybe about 14 fish. Bare bottom. So as far as filtration goes, it's similar to the 120. I have a 40 breeder as a sump. It's a little tighter in here, but you can see the filter sock. That's a Vertex Alpha 200. There's a Fosban reactor with roll Foss in there as well. You can see my bucket refugium right there in the center. The next compartment is a little bit of rock rubble. And then that's the return section. And I also dosed calcium, alkalinity, and magnesium. And there's the apex there. Dosers are up there. And that's pretty much it. And we are back. So... All right, we got a lot to talk about here, uh, Abe. I think one of the things that um, I want to start off with with this is uh, lighting. So on the uh, on the 120, you're doing T5s with uh, with LEDs, and on the 140, you're doing halides and um, some LEDs. So talk talk to us about why you're uh, running those um, certain combinations of light on lighting for both the um, on the 120 and the 140. What um, what are your thoughts on lighting? I mean, obviously you're, uh, you're using combinations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, in general, I think, you know, each modality has sort of its strength and its own weaknesses. So to me, the best lighting period would be to incorporate everything, halides, fluorescent lights, or T5s, I should say, and LEDs. Um, but obviously that's not possible. You probably need a big tank to set that up and you're going to have this crazy retrofit structure. But um, yeah, so I'm all about just taking advantage of the strengths of the different lightings. Um, I, you probably noticed that I, don't, I run mainly T5 supplemented with LEDs and mainly halides supplemented with LEDs. It's not that I have anything against LEDs. It's just 
my experience in the past, um, I haven't, I was never really successful with running them by themselves. Um, and like I said, you know, I think LED strengths are the color that it brings out of its corals, out of the corals. So, I mean, that's why I have it as supplemental lighting. I think that, you know, again, I'm not trying to bash LEDs, but I think for overall health, in my experience, I think T5s and halides are better for acropora health. But, you know, that's just me. Don't want to stir any pots up here, but because uh, I know a lot of people have successful LED only tanks, so I don't want to, I don't want to say anything about that. It's just, it's just that my own experience is uh, just tending to go with straight. I mean, T fives are metal halides as the main lighting. Let me, uh, let me just um, ask a question to people that are watching. Am, am I coming in really low here in terms of uh, my sound? Is that what you guys are uh, hearing? Let me. Um, is that better? Can you guys hear me better now? If I turn it up a little bit. Anybody that's uh, watching wants to put a comment in there. I, I think that's going to be better in terms of my sound, hopefully. Anyway, um, yeah, you know, listen, I I am a um, you know a tried and true halide guy, metal halides. I've been using metal halides for the majority of the time that um, you know I've been keeping reef tanks, halide T5 uh, combination, and I am not um, you know so for for me in terms of LEDs, I've never done really LEDs as the main part of the lighting for, for any of my reef tanks, but my new tank build, you know, that will be the, um, the main source of lighting in terms of the, uh, the LEDs. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm excited about, um, you know, doing that, but, uh, you know, I think there are advantages in all the different types of lighting out there. And obviously in terms of what you were showing with your tanks, you've had some great success with them. And some folks have had great success using just T5s and some folks have had great success using LEDs. It's, it's a lot more than just the um, the lighting, but the lighting is a big part in terms of having success with with SPS. I, I think that's that's not no no doubt about that. I agree. Um, I think the one thing I did, I forgot to say about um, the kind of disclaimer about LEDs is like I never tried like Radions or the big name red LEDs. The only time that I've tried them, I've used kind of the cheap stuff, or I was using my own DIY fixture, which was like ten years ago. Um, so, you know, I don't know for sure. But. So in, in terms of, uh, what I saw in your tanks there, it, it, uh, you've got a bare bottom tanks, right? So you're not using sand and the, uh, you mentioned live rock. So when you started those tanks, was it actually live rock or was that, um, you know, dead rock that became live that you put into those tanks? How did you, um, how did you start those tanks out? Yeah, the, the term live rock is so confusing nowadays. No, um, those, those rocks were definitely dead. Um, yeah, they're just Fiji rock that was dead pretty much. So what was your process and how long did it take for you to, um, to get those tanks up and running? Because, you know, I, I tried live, dead rock one time and it, and it didn't go well. But, um, you know, my, um, my experience is really using live rock and you can get the, uh, the tank cycled pretty quickly with live rock and you can get, um, you know, SPS can be, um, you know, um, um, you know, in terms of my experience, you can, you can get them, uh, you know, colored up and growing much faster than if you went, uh, the other route. But in terms of the, the time frame for you starting a, uh, a tank with, uh, with dead rock, what, um, what period of time was it before you started, you know, putting corals in there and having success with the SPS and seeing the growth in the colors, or did it take a while? Well, uh, I mean, it definitely took a while in the long run. I'll talk about the 140 because I set that one up uh, last. That was the last one I set up. And it probably took from like actually setting up the tank to um, getting Acropora to live in there 
took about four months. And um, I didn't, the thing with that, with that tank is I didn't seed it with any rock from the previous tank because I had like blue clove polyps in the 120 and I was also trying to keep out the vermetted yeah. snails. Um, so I used, I used all dead rock and I just try to cycle it anew. But yeah, about four months to get acros to live. That's just live. Um, but it probably took about a year for them to really start thriving and getting good color. So um, it definitely takes a while. And I don't, you know, cycling, cycling a tank nowadays is, uh, it's definitely a challenge. You know, like you said, we don't have the benefit of real rock from the ocean, which really was what got us, what made us successful back in the 2000s and late 90s. Um, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not one who uses like bottle bacteria. I don't really think that's needed. But uh, for that, for my 140 specifically, um, well, let me just say it like this. In my opinion, right after you decide that you're going to make a, make a new tank or set up a new tank, after you've decided the size, the very next thing that you should do is buy rock and start cycling it. Even before you get the tank, throw it in a bucket and um, that's going to help, you know, get that tank going a lot quicker. That's actually what I did with that tank. So, you know, when I say that I the acros lived within the four month mark, that's only probably or that's partly because that I, I was already cycling rock. I was already preparing for that. So I just had a bunch of live rock in a, in a bucket and I threw a little cheap, you know, um, compact fluorescent light over it and I just threw some nasty stuff in there to get the cycle going. So um, like yeah. uh, dead shrimp or something. Is that uh, how you essentially try to get that going? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I probably did that, you know, two, maybe three, two or three months before I actually set that tank up. I already got the rock going. Did you run into any issues in terms of, uh, you know, dinos and, and uh, all that other fun stuff that some seemingly always pop up when you start with a dry rock only tank? I didn't. And I've, um, I've had that problem with almost every tank that I've set up since, you know, going back over a decade. So I'm, I'm well aware and, of that dino problem. But there are two things that I think, um, this is just obviously my theory because, you know, dinos is a big mystery yeah. for a lot of people, I guess. Um, but number one is I, I, I definitely run UV nowadays when I start a new tank or I'm interrupting the bio load. Um, and the second thing is that starting the rock early is, is definitely a good idea if you want to prevent dinos because it's all about, you know, promoting the the right beneficial biological filtration right. and, and 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 the other thing too is that i don't know if you caught it but i said i just threw on a little cheap complex force and you know house bulb over the right. top just to get some lighting over it i think it's important in my opinion it's important to um not blast like fresh dry dead rock with too much light because if you combine like strong light and you combine combine that with nutrients that to me is what's going to start dying. Right. So UV starting the rock early and not blasting with, with it too much light in the beginning are important to prevent dinos in my opinion. Right. Any other advice in terms of folks that are starting uh, their tanks with, with dry rock only in terms of how to avoid the uglies? I mean, you just, you just really have to go slow. You know, you can't just start dumping and stuff and it all just takes yeah. time. Um, Going back to the lighting, somebody had a question about uh, what T5 combination you're you're uh, you're running. I think it was Great Bearded Reef. <laughs> yeah. Um, so for over my uh, 120, it's an eight bulb fixture. Pretty much there are five blue plus, 
there are two actinics and there's one GE uh, 6500K. And uh, it sounds like a lot of blue, but that GE is pretty white or almost yellow, so it balances out nicely when I have all the have all the bulbs on. Yeah. Um, what um, in terms of how often do you how often do you change out the uh, the T5 bulbs? I, I, I do one, about one, a year. Yeah, about a year. Um, I know that there was that. Yeah, there was that. Uh, you know, it was a BRS video where they sort of tested the, you know, the life of the bulb. Where they said, "Oh, there's only a certain decrease in par after 18 months or whatever." I actually tried that, but um, I don't. You know, I honestly don't think it's only about par. I, I feel like colors start to drop off too uh, after a year. Or so, you know, I I don't really care about extending the bulb life an extra six months. I just change it out because I think that I get better results if they're fresh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um... So, all right, a, a couple more questions, uh, you know, Abe, in terms of what we're talking about or what you were talking about in the video. And, and um, you know, I mentioned bare bottom. What, um, what's your re reasoning behind going bare bottom versus, uh, you know, sand? I think a lot of people like the sand because they like the look of it, you know, aesthetic-wise. And um, some just can't, um, you know, get their heads wrapped around having a bare bottom tank. But what, what's, your, what's your thinking in terms of going bare bottom versus sand? Yeah, it's a good question. First of all, I love the like look of sand. I mean, yeah, if I could have sand and keep it clean and keep it even, I would totally go for it. But those those are the issues for me is that, um, you know, with the flow that I want to give my acros, there's no way that I'm going to keep that sand bed even. And um, I, I would just not rather deal with that. Um, so that's one reason. The other reason is that I really think that removing detritus is important. This is just another one of those wacky theories I have. You know, I feel like detritus, I, I kind of imagine it, this in my head, that detritus releases some nasty crap that our corals eat. That's just how I think of it. So the bottom line is I just try to get rid of it. And um, being bare bottom, it just makes it that much easier. Do you find there to be uh, less biodiversity with a bare bottom tank? Or is it just, I, you know, I think the, uh, the one thing with the bare bottom tank, one of the, um, the things that you have to deal with is that it will take longer for that tank to mature, right? If you do dry rock plus bare bottom. Um, but, you know, I guess the question is how much does the sand add to the uh, biological, um, you know, filtration of that tank? Is it significant? I mean, I like to keep... A one or two inch sand you know in my tanks but um you know is that is that enough to make a difference i don't know yeah it's a good question i don't i don't think i know the answer either um as far as like adequate biological filtration like i don't i don't know if it i mean it may it probably does add biodiversity because it's just a different environment for the different microorganisms to uh, live, you know, as opposed to living on the rock surface. Um, I'm pretty sure of that, I mean, it makes sense. But as far as, but the question I guess is that biodiversity necessary to have a thriving acropora dominated tank? I mean, I, I would think probably not, but um, who knows? So you've never, uh, you've never done a sand, have you tried to do a sand before? And the last time I ran sand was like, it was like in 2008 and uh, I think, I think I was having a dino problem at that time. So I took out all the sand, you know, who, we didn't really know what we were doing back then, but I took out the sand at that point. And then since then, I really didn't never look back. But, uh, so we got a couple of uh, more questions uh, sprinkling in here and, and we'll uh, let's, let's address a couple of these and then we'll dive back into some other topics here. So one question is, um, 
All right. Producer Reef. Hey guys, how do you deal with algae on the frag plugs, especially since the coral on the plugs are growing? Any any thoughts there, Abe? In terms, do you have? We didn't see any of your prop systems there in terms of keeping frags and in dedicated frag tanks, but I assume that you do have that, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I didn't mention it, but there's a 40 breeder plumb to the 120. I didn't think it was exciting enough for me to mention, but um, yeah, I'm not sure how to answer that question. I guess the que- I, I guess I guess the question are- is, do you have any issues with um, you know not not just on the frag books, but algae in those uh, frag tanks? I, I think it can be tough in terms of frag tanks because you've got racks or maybe um, right, and and it's tough to kind of get all the uh, the tritus out underneath the rack. How do you? Uh, Let's 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 ask let's ask it a different way. How do you uh, how do you set up a frag tank and try to uh, you know keep it algae free? Yeah, yeah, no, I I understand the question now. Yeah, I misunderstood it. Um, yeah, totally. You just need an herbivore in there. You totally need a tank and a frag tank, in my opinion. I have a quarantine tank that's only twenty gallons, and um, you know I can't put a tank in there. You know, if it was up to the tank police, I don't want to put one in there anyway. It's too small. But yeah, I definitely have algae problems in there. Like I have bryopsis in there, but yeah, I, I don't know. Because the snails don't eat everything, right? You know, hermit crabs don't eat everything. You definitely need a tang, in my opinion, or a fox face. So it's hard when you have a small Yeah, it's tank. interesting because I have two, um, I have a, uh, a grow out frag tank, you know, so I have, I got some colonies and there's one frag tank that I use as a grow out tank. And then I've got another tank that's just dedicated for frags and plugs. And um, it's interesting because, you know, I do have tangs in those tanks and some tangs like to eat certain algae and others don't. So it's, um, it's always like a kind of a crapshoot, right? I mean, if you throw in a fox face or you throw in a yellow tang or uh, a yellow eye coal tang, it's not a guarantee that they're going to, you know, eat the same kind of algae that uh, another yellow tang or coal, you know, coal tang will eat. It's, um, I find it odd, you know, and, and I think that um, sometimes you got to kind of Throw in multiple tangs at once, and keep your fingers crossed that one of them is going to do their job. Yeah, totally. I totally agree. All right, so we got um, Saint Nova. Abe, uh, do you think your acros would do just as well with your par numbers under LEDs as under T5s, or does it not matter? Oh, I guess. Uh, lower par numbers pretty much when my acros do well probably um i think that's what he's saying right because led people yeah. shoot for 250 to 350 right. and, and i run mine like my a lot of mine are over 400 or something do you um yeah i mean i, I go ahead I definitely think that um, some of them would would do better with lower par i mean i know that a, a, you know at least a handful would do better in lower par but i don't know so yeah. are you uh, are you question. actively measuring par in your tanks? No, the only time I measured par was uh, one time when someone was like, "Here, take this." <laughs> I don't I don't really feel the need to. Uh, um, I again not going not trying to bag on LEDs, but like ten years ago, we didn't we didn't care about measuring or even longer than that we never cared about measuring par when we were running halides. Even you when you had those three 400 watt metal halides over your 120 like you didn't make no. your part and everything did yeah. well and, and the same thing around the 2000 the late 2000s when people were running a lot of t5s like we didn't care about par we just we just filled the tank up with light and that was it that's all that we needed i feel like 
measuring part has just really come about because of LEDs. Like, that's my opinion of it. <laughs> Sorry, LED people, but it just seems like a complication that arose because of LEDs. You know, I never... I don't know. I don't really care about that. I never, I never <laughs> thought of it that way. I mean, I, uh, I personally have never measured par in my tanks. And um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, you're right. In terms of you know running metal halides and whether it's 250 waters or 400 waters, it's just kind of like something. Uh, all right, well, you know, I, I know what's what's coming out of the uh, the light. I know what I got with the uh, the bulbs. There's not it's not rocket science. So um, you know you're you basically looking at the tank. You're looking at the corals and and you're and things look healthy and good. Then you, you roll with it. But um, I guess if there's uh, some corals that are not looking good then uh, you got to kind of like investigate. And, and that actually leads me to another question because um, in, you've probably done one, at least one video on this topic in, in terms of being able to move around frags that you've planted in your display tanks, right? So you've got this uh, really unique system where you've, you've um, pretty much can, can uh, swap out a frag on one side of the tank with another side of the tank without taking it off the rock. Right. Um, yeah, I guess it's sort of like a pegging right. system that I kind of started doing. I probably I started doing it in 2014, and yeah, I mean, I it's just a necessity. It's just like what you said. It, it goes along the same topics of, um, you know, if if you notice a coral needs more, or you think a coral needs more or less light, you got to move it. And you know, our traditional ways of mounting corals is it's a pain in the butt. And, um, you know, I've, I've done it before. Snails knock it off and fish knock it off. Or when it grows big, it just falls off. And, you know, that's just not, the, that, that's just not an ideal, ideal way of mounting corals, in my opinion. So that was just my solution to a problem in this hobby. But, um, but I did, yeah, I did make a video about it. And there are definitely benefits to being able to move your corals around easily. Number one is, like, you just need to balance the colors a little bit better sometimes. Sometimes you just need to move it for better health or better color. Or sometimes you, it's easier to frag a colony when you can take it out of the water. You know, you frag you frag a colony that's stuck to a rock, the frag often falls and you can never find it again. So, um, yeah, it's just a necessity. That, and I found a solution for it. No, it's, it's really pretty cool. I mean, I've... Um... You know, I've never done anything like pegging in terms of moving stuff around. I think a lot of folks will will put frags on a frag rack in a tank and just kind of uh, leave it on that frag rack or maybe put it on the bottom of the tank or what have you on a rack and kind of see how things do and then decide whether or not to keep it in the tank or maybe move it up a little bit on the frag rack. But at least with your system, it's kind of like natural. And if it takes hold, it takes hold. But if it doesn't, you've got that flexibility to be able to move it around, which I think is a really neat idea. Um, so Seed Dweller has a question. He says, uh, this is interesting. Hey, Abe, hey, Abe uh, what do you think of vendors or people who sell frags that don't represent what they look like in real life? <laughs> <laughs> you could take the fifth if you want. I don't know. but uh... yeah, I, It's obviously a sensitive topic. and um, <laughs> I don't know, man. I guess everyone's going to do their own thing. It's... Uh... Smart. It's, I don't know it's marketing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, there's always two sides of the story, right? But um, I guess overall kind of, I guess, sort of punting or <laughs> overall, like, that's fine. I mean, that's not fine. It's not fine for me if I'm a, you know, customer. Um, but I think, but I think uh, for someone like me who's been 
I'm not I'm not some god or whatever. But since I've been in the hobby long enough and you know I do take pictures of corals and I keep corals and I think that I can pull out pretty decent colors. Someone like me, I have a pretty good idea of what picture is real and what picture is not. And unfortunately, um, for folks who are new in the hobby, you know, they can hardly tell. They don't know what's uh, heads or tails. But yeah. um, well, here, go I ahead. Think, I was going to say, I was just going to say the, um, you know, a good rule is like if it looks too good to be true, it, it probably is. Um, but I, I guess I do want to say one more thing about that is, um, you know, people, you know, people fudge their pictures all the time. But in reality, it's just if they do it too much, obviously, that's just a poor, you know, business motto. You know, you, I, they're probably not going to last in the hobby that long. If if these people do um, last in the hobby for that long, it's probably because they're constantly getting, this is just my theory, but they probably just keep getting like new customers rather than repeat yeah. customers. Because if you represent your stuff clear, you know, honestly, as much as possible, um, then you're probably going to get a lot of repeat customers, whereas the other dudes are probably not going to. And, um, but, you know, I guess there's another, there's another point that I want to make. Sorry. Uh, it's that um, it's, it's de very, definitely very difficult, like, you know, getting the color right in the picture and, you know, sort of getting that translated to the other person's tank because there are like so many factors that go, go into what that coral looks like on your screen. You know, first of all, you have the different screens, whether you're looking at on a phone or an old laptop, and then you have all the different, you know, parameters that can affect colors. And then you have the different lighting and the different lighting that the picture was taken under. Then you have the different cameras. And there are just so many factors to absolutely get it perfect is is kind of a is kind of a stretch. So, in a way, buying corals um, that you see from pictures online is definitely a risk. And um, yeah, and it's hard. You probably the best way to buy corals is to see it in person and judge it from there. But um, you know, your selection is going to be crappy. But uh, anyway, that's do you um, do you do any um, in person sales? Are you pretty much one hundred percent online sales. I'm pretty much, I'm pretty much a hundred percent online. I used to sell locally, but uh, it's just easier to sell online. Yeah, I don't want to get into it. I'll take the fifth. You're gonna on. take the fifth on that. My, I was, I was gonna say. I just, I just say my. I was gonna say San Diego. At least you've got other reef keepers around you. I live in Vermont. There's like nobody here. <laughs> I'm like a hundred percent. Actually, I've got a couple of local customers, but uh, you know, it's mostly uh, online and stuff. Um, so here, here, here's a uh, here's a, a a lighting question for you. In terms of um, this is from um, sorry if I'm mispronouncing this. Mer M E R E Reef Mary Reef. I don't know how to pronounce that. Uh, can you ask uh, Abe? Does he believe corals need white light, or can they do better in blue light? What's his experience? Oh, uh, they definitely need white light for health, in my opinion. Uh, recently, I've uh, I've added a I don't know if you anyway it doesn't matter. I, I recently added a 6500 Kelvin T5 to my eight bulb setup, and um, it it's definitely white and it looked yellow to my eyes at first. Um, but I, you know, within a couple weeks, the health of my corals was so much better because before that, I was running a lot of blue plus and I didn't have a lot of white light. But since adding that, my corals look so much better. All right, man. Let's um, let's kind of get into a, a discussion about parameters and what have you. What um, what do you like to run your tanks in terms of uh, nutrients? Like, 
you know, nitrates, phosphates, and then we can kind of get into the uh, alkalinity, calcium, magnesium. What, uh, what do you like to do there, Abe, in terms of target parameters? Uh, I like to see my, I'm laughing because everybody has like their own little opinion and so th this is just my own opinion, but I like to keep my, my nitrate and phosphate as low as possible. And the, the main reason for that is because in my experience, or it's my belief that my corals color up better with lower nitrate and, and when you phosphate. say what, what's, what's and, lower um, nitrate and phosphate in your uh, opinion? Well, see, I don't even, I don't even test anymore. Uh, for nitrate, I've always used correct. I've always used regular test kits. I never use anything, you know, good, I guess. But I've always got zero on my nitrate test kits. So I never, I just stopped testing. It's just a waste of time and money. Um, as far as phosphate goes, I used to, I used to check that all the time. And I used to use, you know, the electronic checkers. And um, I used, I don't know what I used to just, I, I never really aimed for anything. Anyway, the point is, <laughs> the point is, see, this is just, I run Roofos because I believe in extracting as much phosphate as possible. And, um, you know, there's definitely this, uh, people definitely say nowadays, like, you know, you shouldn't take out all the phosphate, you should have some. And yeah, that's probably true. Um, but I, I personally don't, I personally don't think I, could, I will ever get to zero phosphate as long as I'm, you know, I have a normal fish load and I'm feeding the fish, you know, decently. Um, so I, I really don't, because a lot of people are hesitant to run Roofos or phosphate removers. And, uh, but, you know, that doesn't scare me because I, I made this whole nutrient video. I, I don't think nutrients is simply, or I should say it this way, the amount of nutrients that your corals get isn't as simple as that test kit results. The, the, the amount of nutrients that your corals get, it's a very dynamic process. And in my opinion, the test kits, you know, that result is just a snapshot of a very dynamic process. So it doesn't really tell you the whole story. That's my opinion of it. Yeah, anyway. Greg, uh, <laughs> Greg Carroll agrees with you. He, he says he, he's fine with zero. And, um, you know, it, it, so you, you, um, you referred to uh, feeding your fish, right? And, um, you know, you, uh, you have a, um, what would you say in your uh, 120 you had 14 fish or was that in your 140? Uh, yeah, uh, 14 in the 140, about 12 right. in my 120. It's an estimate because I'm not sure. Uh, because a lot of them are damsels and they just, they just kill each other. <laughs> like in the 120, I think I had like 18, but I don't see that many damsels anymore. So <laughs> I think I have about. So, um, besides, uh, feeding your fish, I mean, do you feed your fish, you know, a lot? Do you feed, uh, any, you know, coral supplements? I see that, uh, Bobby's Reef Aquariums is asking your opinion about aminos. Do you, you know, so do you feed any coral food or aminos on top of fish food? No, I don't. Um, I try. I definitely try that stuff out, though. I tried aminos. I tried coral foods. I never really wanted to like spot feeding Acropora because it doesn't look like they eat it. <laughs> um, so I stopped doing that. But um, yeah, I tried like broadcast feeding coral food and aminos. For me, in my experience, aminos is um. So in my ex in my tank, when I dose aminos, it's like cyano in a bottle for me. That stuff is just bad for my speaking for some reason. Um, not saying it won't work in yours, but in mine, I just break out in cyano like within the next couple of days if I keep doing it. So yeah, that yeah, I don't believe in that stuff. I just believe in feeding the fish, and um, I don't. You know, there's this saying where people people say, "Oh, corals eat fish poop, or all they need is fish." Poop. I don't think that's real. I've never seen a coral polyp 
clothes around some fish poop, but <laughs> because it's a lot more complicated than that, right? The fish poop is actually releasing right. nutrients, and that's what the corals soak in through their membranes. They're not actually eating the fish poop, but um, yeah, I don't. Did I answer your question? <laughs> I, I believe so. Now, any any special kind of fish food? Do you have your own blend? No, you know, I, I no, I don't have my own blend. Uh, but what I feed my fish is sort of always changing. Like before, I was, I would like, like maybe six months ago, I was dosing a lot of pellets and a lot of or dosing. I was feeding a lot of pellets and flakes, but that was uh, I just didn't like the way my corals looked, and so I've got off of. So currently, I stopped feeding anything processed, believe it or not. So right now, as of this moment, I only feed frozen food. Or um, seaweed, <laughs> and um, it's just another experiment. I'm always experimenting with those types of things, but um, but I think that just by messing with my fish food, I can adjust how my corals look. You know, I don't need to dose amino acids or some special coral food because I can do everything that I need to do with just adjusting my fish feedings, whether it's how much I feed or the type of food that I. Um, feed them but but uh since i've started just dosing i mean feeding the natural foods all the fro only frozen foods and only seaweed my corals actually look better in my i think compared to when i was feeding pellets and all that processed stuff so we'll see it's just it's just an experiment yeah you're we're uh, we're getting some comments here about percy adams who i believe said he's uh hello from tahiti ah that's that's awesome watching from tahiti is uh how do you get those colors with zero Nitrates and zero phosphates, and, and we're getting another question um, uh, from Mark um, Leong. Abe, please share, how do you get such high polyp extension on your SPS corals all the time? So you, um, you're, you're, you're getting some comments there, Abe, with, with these very uh, low uh, nutrient levels in terms of the, uh, the great colors and the polyp extension. Yeah. What's, what's, the, uh, what's the ticket there? It's just kind of like what you've been talking about in terms of the way you run systems. Yeah, I mean, I wish I had a good, you know, scientific reasoning behind it, but I don't. I mean, my corals just do better with low nutrients. I And um, I would like to say that, uh, you know, and that's not something that I've, like, developed in the last couple of years. This has been my entire, the whole time I've been successful with Acropora, always low nutrients have brought out the best colors for me. So um, it, it's, it's not something that you could move me off my position, you know what I mean? Because sometimes when, at times when I tried to go higher nutrients, things ended up dying. It could be that my corals are just used to that, and that's that's, and that's what that's the reason they, they look good. I don't know, but um, I, yeah, I just don't have a good answer because there are definitely people who like to run higher nutrients and who have great colors, but I don't have a good answer for that. As far as uh, um, Percy is wondering, how many times a day do you do you feed your fish? Oh, I feed them once, but I, I do feed them heavy. So I don't, I don't know how to quantify that for you to understand, but I do feed them a lot. Uh, if you saw my fish, they're very fat. And it, oh, I should say this, it usually takes about uh, 50 minutes for all the food to go away. That's oh, really? how much I feed. I don't know if that helps. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, and Russell Chili's is wondering, has Abe ever used a product like uh, ChemiClean? So you mentioned... Um, you know, cyano and what have you, whenever you get um, some problematic uh, algae, have you ever used any chemicals to get rid of it? Nope. I probably never will either. I don't, I don't, I don't know what's in that stuff and I'm not dissing that company, but I don't believe in quick fixes, right? The hobby, this hobby is like, uh, 
this, this is just that saying, nothing happen, nothing good happens quick in this hobby. It's totally true. I'm just not all about quick fixes. To me, um, cyano and nuisance LGs, they're just they're just really a manifestation of something that's not right in your tank. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you you just don't throw a band-aid on like something wrong that's you know in the inside of your body. That's just my my yep. opinion of it. But I actually recent recently had um cyano in my frag tank the one that i didn't mention it was bad like i had bad cyano for like five months all over the place all over the frag rack and um i, I didn't put anything in there i just fought through it i just manually removed it i siphoned the stuff out i tried to get my parameters right i just do what i did normally i guess and uh it eventually went away right Right. I think um, a lot of times that's what I'll find. Like in my, in my frag tank, I'll um, sometimes just have to really, you know, if, if any problematic algae pops up, I, I spend a lot of time manually removing it, you know, and, and trying not to go the, uh, the chemical route. And I, I agree with you, you know, chemicals is a major last resort in my opinion. And it's always best to try to like um, go the natural route and something is out of balance. Something is out of whack, probably with the nitrate and phosphate ratio. But, um, you know, that's usually, you know, and um, I also like to um, pull out the frag racks and my frag tanks and siphon all that to try this out because it's not easy to keep that uh, when, when, when you have egg crate to keep that detritus, um, you know, out of that tank, even with good flow. I and mean, I have, you know, I've got um, two, two of those frag tanks that I talked about. I've got two MP40s in each one of those frag tanks and one's four foot long by two foot and the other's uh, five foot long by uh, two foot wide. So... You know, I think having a good amount of flow in, in um, you know, a, a tank that you're keeping SPS coral is, is a big um, part of having success. Um, just looking at some of the other uh, questions here. Abe, this is St. Nova. Abe, how long have you had an acro just sit there twiddling its thumbs doing nothing? <laughs> so I guess maybe the question is it's maybe it's encrusting and it's not growing any branches but you actually did a video on this one right I think so you you did something about uh, you did a video that uh, you had some corals that were like doing nothing and you started snipping some branches and you started seeing growth um, you know where you were cutting the branches and then you were also talking about um, placing frags on edges of uh, rock to try to promote growth yeah, uh, I, I think I know what uh, St. Nova is asking now. It's like, how long do you wait before you start messing with the acro? Um, I, I think about six months is, is how long I wait. I mean, if if it's like, well, I should say if it's encrusting, I'll give it six months to start growing branches. If it's not growing branches by six months, then I'm going to start thinking of moving it, um, you know, either to stronger lighting, less light, or just different kind of lighting. I'll move it to my other tank. So, yeah. That's the answer to that. But yeah, you're referring to my growth video. Yeah, those are just, that was just some tips on what I thought would improve growth. But yeah, nipping the tips, it's not a secret. Sometimes um, stimulates growth. But in my experience, that only helps when the acro, when part of the colony is growing somewhere else. Like if you nip, for me, if I nip the, a colony that's just encrusting, it doesn't do anything. But uh, we have a question from the uh, Art of War. What about tank temperature? I run mine 75 to 76 ish, and everything does really well, but slow growth overall. Could uh, this temp be an issue? That does sound kind of uh, on the low end of uh, for a reef tank, 75 to 76. Yeah, I agree. 
Yeah, I agree. I run mine over, you know, seven, about 79.5-ish. Um, but, I mean, Art of War, like, who knows? You're not going to know until you try it, right? I mean, all tanks are different. But, so just try it. I mean, just bump it up slowly and see if you notice it. What difference. about water changes, uh, Abe? What do you do in terms of water changes for your systems? Yeah, water changes is definitely something that I would like to do more of, but it's not always the most practical thing to do. Um, but right now I do about 20% every two weeks. Um, I, I just don't do it more often because I'm limited to, well, being in California and there's a water shortage. So we save all the wastewater and I use that to like clean stuff off. But that thing is only 55 gallons. So when that thing is full, I don't want to make more water. And I don't know. And the salt is obvious, obviously expensive. So I believe I'm a big believer in water changes, though. Like if I could do them and they're cheaper, if I could do them more often, I would do them. What, more uh, often. what salt brand do you use? I use Red Sea Coral okay. Pro, so I've I've bounced around, you know, ten years ago I was using Reef Crystals, then and I was using that for a long time, and then I um, tried uh, Brightwell, which was fine, then I tried Tropic Marin Pro, and then and then I'm back on a uh, Red Sea Coral Pro. Yeah, I've kind of like jumped around myself too. I uh, for years was using Tropic Marin Pro, ESV's uh, salt, then uh, Instant Ocean, then I went back to Tropic Marin, then I, now I'm back to, uh, to Instant Ocean because um, it's, uh, it's reasonably priced. And, and I, you know, I, I get, yeah, sure. uh, I get some decent results with it. I mean, I, you know, have you seen like any major changes when you change salt brands? <laughs> yeah, for the negative. <laughs> um, yeah, I switched to one company um, and I saw negative results, but I don't really want to say who they were because people use it yeah. just fine. So I don't, I don't know what it was, but I, I mean, it was probably just the change, salt change of salts, not necessarily the brand that pissed the corals off. So um, yeah, let's uh, let's talk about the uh, the bucket refugium. Now, what what struck me as interesting is that you use the um, you're using macro, but you're also using um, GFO, and you know I. And, and GFGO yes. can, if you use too much of it, strip out, you know, some of the valuable trace elements that helps the, uh, the Cato grow. So it, explain that dynamic in terms of using both and how you use both. I mean, are you, are you constantly using the, uh, the row of FOSS? Is that a 24-7 thing or is it just certain times when you see uh, levels maybe getting a little, you know, something getting a little uh, out of whack? Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, it's definitely 24-7. I, I do hear of people or read of people doing that where they're like testing their phosphate and running it when they need it. That's just, that's a lot of work to me. I, w I wouldn't do that. But um, yeah, like I said, it's like, I don't think I'll ever hit zero technically as long as I'm feeding the fish and I have that bio load. Um, but yeah, but yeah, I do run that in the, uh, in the, in the uh, Cato and the bucket refugium. Actually, though, that's a good question because I had been recently sort of playing around with the photo period on my bu bucket refugium to see what kind of effect that has on the different colors of the coral. Um, yeah, it's a good question. I, I don't know. But, I, you know, I think that this is kind of a theory that I'm starting to sort of develop in my head. I probably shouldn't even say, but since I brought it up. But I almost, I almost feel like there's probably a, a very... How, how should how do I say this? Like to to uh, tailor the corals their colors to our liking. It you know I said as I said earlier it's it's not as simple as a stupid test kit result. You know what I mean? Like that's too simple for a very complicated dynamic. 
And um, but I actually feel like there are better. There is probably a better way to um, you know tailor the colors of our corals to our liking. And that's one thing is I think it's um, you know messing around with the photo period of your refugium. But uh, I'll, I'll how long? Because um, I don't want to go ahead. No, I just said I don't want to. I don't want to like speak too early because I'm still kind of brewing, brewing this theory in my head, and I'll probably make a video on it if it comes to fruition. But uh, but I I guess the bottom line is like, you know, the the test kit result is just it's just too simple of a way to think about nutrients in the in the reef aquarium. What um how how long do you run your uh, lights on the bucket refugium? How many hours? So actually, uh, in the one twenty. I'm only running it for um, six hours a night now. Oh, six. But in the 140, hmm. yeah. But in the 140, I run it for 12 okay. hours. Um, those, yeah, I run those tanks very similar, but for some reason, um, the Kato doesn't grow as well in the 120 as it does in the 140. That's why I reduced the photo period because it's like, why light it when it doesn't grow that well? Um, but I think that I know the reason why there's that discrepancy of Kato growth between both tanks is because the rock... The 140 is technically newer. I just recently switched out the frag rack for that rock. So the rock is a little fresh, but that sort of speaks to how important, you know, and an established tank is, you know, biological filtration, because it makes all the difference in terms of nutrient control. I tell you, man, I'm, I, uh, I'm digging your, your 140 gallon tank and it actually, my new tank, my, uh, my new 225 gallon tank is, is a similar design. And, um, my new tank is going to be six foot long by three foot wide by 20 inches tall. And I think your uh, 140 is uh, three foot wide by five foot long by 16 inches tall. Is that what it, um, right? And I, I like that. I like the lagoon style. And, and my tank is going to be similar in terms of kind of like a grow tank for SPS, right? And, um, but what, what I like about the, your tank is that it looks really cool. It looks really natural. What, what are your thoughts in terms of, um, you know, all this um, interesting aquascape, aquascaping that's going on, the, um, the negative uh, aquascape, uh, the negative space aquascape, NSA. I don't know if you've been following that stuff. BRS has been doing a lot of, um, you know, featuring that sort of, um, um, you know, uh, live rock in terms of the aquascaping. It's just very minimalistic and very branchy and, and getting very creative. I mean... It seems like it's a lot of work, and I'm sure if you have the talent to pull that off, it would be awesome. But um, I think one of the reasons why I wanted to go with a lagoon-style tank and not have a, um, a very tall tank is because then you really don't have to get that fancy with the aquascape, right? I think, um, you know, and especially if you wanted to have uh, an SPS-dominant, SPS kind of like grow-out tank. For me, I think it, um, it's going to work just fine in terms of having that, that width, with this, which is a very important um, you know, I think in terms of a reef tank, to have that depth of a um, of three feet is is just great in terms of being able to play around with stuff. But uh, what are, what are your thoughts in terms of aquascaping and, and all the creativity that uh, you can do with with dry rock? Well, I, I agree with you. Like, and it, it's like almost a hundred percent that the tank size and dimensions should sort of determine what your aquascape looks like, right? Like, if you you said you have a wide tank like that. It's going to look nice when you're staring down the end, and uh, it's almost better to have the aquascape just flat so you can see all the contrasting colors down the line. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's what I believe in. But, yeah, as far as, like, bonsai aquascapes and, you know, having a taller tank, like, I'm, I'm totally for it. If you're that artistic, go for it. 
my my whole thing with aquascape though is i'm not really the reason why i'm not into like minimalistic looks and um you know just not a lot of live rock and all that it's not because of it doesn't it's not because i dislike the look it's actually because i don't feel i have this sort of weird theory it's another one of my theories that can't be proven but in my opinion bi biological filtration in the tank is like so much better than stuffing some biological filtration in the sump. So I, for me, I'm all about having enough live rock in the display because photosynthetic biofiltration to me is very important versus just throwing a bunch of ceramic blocks in the sump. To me, that's not the same, but who knows? I, yeah, know, I mean, people I um, people definitely seem to have success with the, um, with, with the ceramic uh, blocks in the sump. Um, I've never gone that route, but, um, yeah, I think if you can, if you can, you know, have live rock in the display, it's to, I, I agree with you in terms of having the, uh, the light and the biodiversity. I think that's going to be a better way to go. At least you can get there quicker, I would think, but I, I can't prove that. It just seems anecdotally that, that folks, you know, that start tanks with live rock versus dry rock can get there quicker in terms of an SPS dominant tank. Um, versus a dry rock only tank, but that's that's my experience and and some um, you know also experiences that I've I've um, heard from friends that have tried the dry rock after using live rock forever. <clears throat> All right, so um, I'm just panning around here looking at the uh, the chat. So folks, um, definitely chime in with any more uh, questions and and. Um, I'm just trying to uh, peruse the comments here. I've, Abe, one other um, thing I wanted to ask you in terms of, you know, when 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 you gave us the tour, the uh, the tank tour, both of the uh, you know your uh, the equipment that you use, it, it was pretty basic, you know, setup. So there, there wasn't a lot of, um, you know, I didn't see a lot of the latest, the greatest in terms of the technology, right? I think it's just you got a basic setup and it works. What um, what are your thoughts in terms of all the uh, the different you know types of equipment out there that can be utilized to help run a tank? You know, the, you've got um, alkalinity monitors, you've got you've got controllers. I, you know, you use an apex, right? But um, I'm assuming you don't get too fancy with the apex. What what's your thought in terms of technology in the hobby and, and how uh, that gets utilized? Are you a um, you know just kind of try to keep keep away from that sort of thing is that just something that's not one of the tools in in your uh, toolkit yeah i mean i guess you could sum up what i'm about to say is keep it as simple as possible but as far as as far as you brought up alkalinity and all the different testers they have nowadays in my opinion like all that stuff is taking something very simple way too far and making it too complicated because I, you know, I have my undergraduate degree in chemistry. I'm not saying I know a lot about chemistry, but titrate, titrating to find that value of alkalinity, that's that's very basic to get that. That's like simple chemistry. That's like high school chemistry, you know what I mean? And I get it, but it could be a little difficult to tell whether it's like purple or pink, you know what I mean? But as long as you're consistently saying, okay, no, that's my purple or that's my pink, you're going to be fine. Um, but I think electronic testers and all these other crazy things, they just take it a little too far because now, now you're adding like a light in there that measures, measures the degree of pinkness of the solution. It's just, it just makes something 
a lot more complicated than it needs to be. Chemistry is very, the chemistry involved in testing stuff is very basic. So I don't know. That's my opinion. Well, I, I tend to agree with you. I think um, I, I, I use technology if it um, if it can be helpful, that's great. But I don't want to really I don't really like to lean on it too heavily. You know, I, I do use a um, you know a controller and I use it to just really primarily to alarm me if there's anything going on and it's out of whack in terms of um, you know water on the uh, the floor or if the temperature gets way too hot or um, you know stuff like that. I I don't I don't uh, utilize a controller a lot in terms of controlling things. I mean, I do have like a, a skimmer, um, a float switch in my skimmer, which, you know, if the cup gets filled up, then that float switch gets tripped and it shuts off the skimmer pump. So I've got a couple of things like that in terms of fail-safe types of things. But um, I don't believe in having a lot of moving parts in a reef tank. I think the more complicated you make a, a reef tank, then the more points of failure that can exist. And, um, you know, so you can kind of get yourself into a, a little bit of trouble if you go too deep into it. I mean, that's, so I, I think we do have, um, similar philosophies there. Um, St. Nova, I think we've, uh, I've saw this question before is asking if you have any aptasia and if you do, how have you, how have you gotten rid of it? <laughs> that's like the, yeah, I do actually, I think I got it from, uh, I either got it from two, I added some zoos to my tank at one point and it could have also been from the Cato. So I do have aptasia. I think I'm no I'm no aptasia expert, but um, Bergia Nudibranc seem to be one of the best options out there. And I've actually just stuck some in my tank recently, so that's what I'm doing to get rid of them. But uh, yeah, those guys are those guys are. Buggers. I've had um, a lot of success using peppermint uh, shrimp. I think those are um, good too. You know, I put a few of those in there. Um, Percy Adams, hey Abe, just to say your last vid is a masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it, man. I, yeah, I don't know, man. I was just trying something different. Um, I guess, I guess my YouTube style is always evolving. But you know, lately, or in the beginning of starting YouTube, I used to think that, uh, you know, I used to have this thought in my head, like, oh, I have to show myself in the video, you know, because you know people want to see who I am, and that's, you know, you, you watch all these popular YouTubers, not reefers in general, but you know, like. You know, General Marvels and some of these legends like Casey Neistat, they're like, they're they're the actual subject matter of the video. But lately I've, so I always thought that um, that I need to be in the video in order to grow big. That was sort of my thought. But recently I've been watching some other channels and, and I sort of realized that like, man, this, this is a reefing channel. It's not, it's not, like I don't have some like bubbly personality, you know what I mean? If anything, people are here to, people are here to see the corals and I think that, uh, I don't know, that's just something that I'm thinking about. Like, that's the subject matter that people are actually interested in, not me. I mean, at least, I don't know. I don't know. I, um, yeah, I, I hear you. It is, it is kind of like an evolving thing. You know, you try different things, try different formats, and um, sometimes you got to, like, um, roll with something else and, and see how that uh, flies. But, you know, that's part of the whole creativity process, right? I mean, I think, you know, it definitely is important to show yourself at times, but maybe at other times, you got to be a little discreet. I don't know. Thank you. Um, Mary Reef. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that right. M-E-R-E Reef. I don't know how you would pronounce that, uh, Abe, but uh, can you ask Abe, what's the secret to coloration? What are, what are the uh, things that influence color like the home wrecker and Walt Disney? 
What do you think? What do you think about that, Abe? <laughs> Is that everything you've been talking about in terms of color? Low. Yeah, yeah, low, low nutrients. No, no. Um, yeah, I mean that's part of my own theory, definitely. But obviously, it's it's really, I guess. Uh, well, let me let me answer it this way because people sometimes ask me like, "What are your secrets?" And it's like, bro, there are no secrets, man. Everything that I do. Yeah, I mean that that's an important point. Is that I wanted to say is that everything that I thought is important, I have said in a video at some point. And, um, and, and that should say something because I only have like 30 freaking videos out there. I don't have a lot of them. And um, so I guess my point is that there are no secrets. It's, it's what you hear all the time. Stability, you know, keeping your nutrients in control, having a good spectrum with your lighting. With uh, Also with lighting, you got to have good coverage. I don't There's no secret, bro. I mean, you know, like, like I said in my dosing video, there's no magical amino acid or coral food that I'm using, bro. I'm just doing regular stuff. But. Patience is another yeah. big one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know, Keith. What, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, hold on, I'm interviewing you. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I, uh, I, I agree. I, um, I think patience is a big one. I think um, do not uh, make a lot of changes. You know, if you see certain things, and and um, you know, if your alkalinity is uh, is is uh, going up and up and up, and and um, I, I just don't like to make change unless um, things are really spiraling out of control or what have you. So I think, um, you know, patience, stability. I think uh, what you said in terms of keeping uh, nutrients in, in control. Um, you don't, you don't, you don't want. Um, you know, that's just a, a bad thing in terms of uh, getting a nutrient spike and getting the problematic algae, and then you know, then you you're you're fighting that uh, fight. But uh, lighting is very important. You know, I um, I've had great great luck with the uh, metal halide lighting. I think you got to have a good solid uh, calcium and uh, alkalinity supplementation system all set up. Um, and I, I think sure. you know you got to keep up with the maintenance. You you can't you can't neglect a uh, reef tank. This is not a lazy man's hobby. So um, I always um, you know really try to stick to my maintenance schedule and and keep the uh, the tank uh, humming along because. You know, all you need to do is uh, kind of neglect a, a return pump or or um, something else in terms of that piece of equipment, and you get equipment failure, and then that's just going to snowball into something really bad. And so, I think sometimes maintenance yeah. really gets overlooked in in reef keeping, and you know, it's not glamorous, but it's something you got to do. So, um, all right, man, we're getting we're getting that. Go ahead. I was gonna say I saw a question that uh, that was asked earlier and I and I forgot to answer it. But um, someone was asking about how I get my polyp extension. That's another question that I get asked regularly, and I really don't do anything special for that. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know to be honest with you. Just have health healthy corals. I mean, I think part of it is having clean water and low nutrients. That's just kind of my opinion on it, but. Um, I honestly wanted to do a video on what would give you better polyp extension, but one thing that's discouraging me is that Keith Reefbum has a nice video on that, and he pretty much said everything that I could think of. So go back, I don't know, it was two or three years ago. Keith, oh, yeah, the polyp video. extension. That's yeah. a great Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it has like 30,000-something views. That's a good video to watch. I mean, I, I probably don't have much to add to that. Um, the only thing I'd probably add, I, don't, I can't remember if you said it was having clean water i think um helps with polyp extension 
Yeah, there's a number of factors. I, you know, flow is definitely um, something that um, you know, and, and random randomized flow I think is uh, is always good. You know, you have that um, Tunzi wave maker in that one tank, and and that's um, you know that's a nice surge effect in terms of uh, moving water around. And and um, yeah, I, I think you know the other thing that I, w I would bring up in terms of um, having success with an SPS tank is. You know, once that tank starts to kind of get uh, grow out a little bit, you know, you got to be proactive about keeping that thing uh, trimmed back because as as soon as you start getting certain corals to grow, then it's going to cut back in the circulation, and um, you know, the tank will look great. All right, I got a great full looking tank, and it's awesome, and what have you. But uh, you know, dude, that's that's going to turn kind of uh, that's going to kind of get bad in a few months because, you know, things are going to start dying at the base of your corals and other corals that are getting choked out by certain corals are um, not going to be happy. So I think that's also very key is to make sure that you're keeping a, um, you know, trimming that tank and, and to make sure that you continue to allow those corals to, to have the flow that they need. That's an important thing. You know, and I think, um, you know, another thing, and I don't know what your thoughts are, but, um, there, you know, there's also certain types of corals that can be very aggressive in terms of, um, you know, especially in Matapura and even encrusting Matis. So I think, um, you know, those are great corals to, to start off a tank with and, and to make sure that the tank is, um, you know, can support um, and be a healthy SPS tank in terms of Montiporas like Digis and what have you. Those are very simple corals to keep. But you also have to be very careful about those things because they can grow fast, really, really fast. And... Um, you know, so I think that's also a part of it in terms of having uh, success with a, uh, an SPS tank is the selection of the corals that you are, uh, you know, keeping in that tank. And, you know, you got to be very cognizant of being, um, you know, placing an aggressive coral, you know, next to some non-aggressive corals. But that's, I think, your, your pegging system is a really cool system to be able to uh, move things around like that. But do you, um, do you ever think about that in terms of when you're planning out a, uh, a tank in, in terms of the the uh, aggressiveness of a coral in terms of how fast they grow and where they're getting placed, or do you try to avoid those corals in your tank? No, I mean, I definitely have Montes, and you're right, they are pretty aggressive. Um, yeah, I mean, encrusting ones, definitely the encrusting Montes, I, I wouldn't just put them on the rock because they, they just grow buck wild. Um, but that's, yeah, but you're right, that's where that pegging system comes into play because I'll just give them their own little rock and once they start overgrowing the edge, then I'll just pull it off. So. All right. Um, a couple of rapid-fire questions for me. What's your, uh, what's your dream tank look like? Or do you, <laughs> or do you have one already? No, I don't have one, actually. <laughs> but, you know, obviously it's going to be big. Um, probably one that's like four feet wide. That way I can have probably all the different lighting if I wanted to, halides, LEDs, and T5s. <laughs> Um, but it's not going to be so big to where it's such a chore to take care of it. Um, but it's probably going to be around there, you know, somewhere on the area of 600 gallons. And uh, how far off in the future is that tank? Oh, I mean, it's as far off as, as me buying a new house. <laughs> <laughs> so it's very far. <laughs> I just don't have the space for it. So it's very So far. if you had to pick like your favorite SPS coral, what would it be? Oh man, that's, I don't know. Well, I don't know. It's a hard question. I do pick, have a lot of favorites. The Oregon. Do you like the Oregon tort? You, you and me both, yeah. man. I love that coral. That coral is like the bluest coral around. It is awesome. Yeah. 
I like sometimes I'm on like on reef to reef and I'm hearing about people talking about oh this color is blue so blue it beats Oregon tart and I gotta tell you man I tried a lot of those curls and there's no yeah no there's no way they even beat it's Oregon. almost like it's got a fake blue pigment in it or something it's so it's so freaking blue what about um, the uh, the Tyree purple monster you ever had that in a tank no but I keep hearing about that one. I heard it's nice though. I've um I've had big um big colonies of that that I grew out of um, frags in my old 225 gallon tank, and um, I do have a frag that I've been growing out on the um, in the 187 gallon tank that has just pretty much been encrusting and doing nothing, and it's frustrating because the um, the frag itself has not grown upward at all, and it's just gotten fatter and so encrusted to the uh, to the rock that I believe it's almost impossible to frag that tip. If I, if I frag that tip, I'm going to get a quarter inch piece of, uh, you know, I'm going to get a little nub, but I don't know, maybe I should do that and try to plant it in the new tank when it's uh, ready to uh, rock and roll. <laughs> uh, let's see here. What else do we got? So uh, listen, hey man, it's, um, we've been, we've been talking for like an hour and 15 minutes. Anything else did you wanted to, uh, to talk about that uh, I haven't uh, asked you or any other comments that you have? No, no. I mean, I think we covered a lot of it or the main stuff. Yeah, it was, it was good. And I just want to say thanks for all the support, guys. And thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, no. So for you folks that haven't checked out uh, Abe's uh, website, it's uh, CoralEuphoria.com. Oh, I, I forgot to ask you, how did you uh, come up with the name? <laughs> I don't know, man. It's just, it's not even all that special. I mean, it doesn't have any special place in my heart. Well, before it didn't. <laughs> It was just something I came up with, you know, you know, nowadays when you're trying to start something these days online, you have to see, you should check all the platforms, right? If that name is taken on YouTube, on Facebook, on Instagram, or you have to see if that.com is taken up. So it's not the easiest thing to come up with a, you know, with a name because <laughs> you're, you're quite restricted. Yeah. So that's just one that I came up with. And I got to say, like, I never... I never really liked it all that much, <laughs> but I don't think it's something I could change. <laughs> it's, it's probably not a good idea to change. Yeah, it you don't want to do any rebranding right now. I think you're uh, you're probably doing pretty well in terms of selling frags and what have you. I would I would uh, I would assume. Um, all right, man. Listen, I uh, I want to thank you again, Abe. This was a lot of fun uh, for me, and I really enjoyed uh, talking SPS with you. And, and hopefully, you uh, will join us again in the future as a guest on the uh, on the live stream. Yeah, man, sounds good. Thanks. So um, I got another show next uh, next Sunday, uh, September 27th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with Cindy from um, Reefer. Uh, Cindy, I'm going to have to ask you how to pronounce this when I have you on the show. Reefer, G-R-R-L. Reefer Girl, maybe? That's, what, uh, that's short for Reefer Girl, maybe. Anyway, so oh, Cindy's yeah. going to be joining me uh, next Sunday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. And uh, anyway, man, all right. Abe, listen, be uh, safe, be well, and everybody else do the same out there. These are uh, certainly interesting times. So till, uh, till next time, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see you soon. Take care, guys.